Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Welcome everybody to Gospel Saving Church coming into our church here in McKinney, Texas. And welcome everybody coming Gospel Saving Church coming from all over the world on SoundCloud. God bless you and welcome. Praise be to God. Um, If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer real quick, I'm, I'm thankful to have everybody, but I sure do want God's blessing on this message and God's blessing on this uh, to help us uh, understand His Word today by His Holy Spirit, and and uh, so let's let's ask the Lord to to help us today. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, your promises, Lord. You made a promise, Lord. You said wherever two or three are gathered in My name, Jesus, you said I would be there. Um, and so, Lord, we're here and we're gathered in Your name. And Lord, we know You are here, so we want to welcome You, Lord. And we pray that our attention today, Lord. In my teaching today, Lord, and even in our minds today, Lord God, that, we, that they would be honoring to you. Lord, as you are right here, Lord, as, as if we were standing before the greatest king of earth, Lord, and you're way better than the greatest king of earth, Lord, you're the greatest king of heaven, Lord, heaven and earth, the greatest king ever. And so, Lord, I pray that we would consider how we act today, how we think today, and how I teach today, Lord God, as you are right here because you are, Lord. Help us to remember that. So that, so that everything we say and we think and we do today, especially while we're in church and we're hearing your word, would be respectful to you as the greatest king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We thank you and we love you and we praise you, Lord. We ask that you bless this message. Help us to understand this message, Lord, for we know that your word says that we only understand things by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to understand the things that I'm going to teach today. And Lord, I pray, again, we would not just be hearers of the word only, but we'd be doers of your word. Lord, just those that practice the things that you say, those that don't just hear the things you say, but those that practice the things that you say. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, our guest of honor, our Lord and our Savior. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So anyway, uh, you guys want to open up to 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. This is going to finish out chapter 1, and we're going to roll into chapter 2. Now, there's only uh, 2 Timothy is a very short book, only having four kind of short chapters. So we should be out of 2 Timothy pretty quickly. But uh, we're going to finish chapter 1 today. So again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. You can open up to that while I'm going through my thoughts from last week's message. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, encapsulating my whole entire sermon from last week. I'm going to do it in one short sentence. Here it is. If you really are a Christian, so a follower of Christ, you should be speaking to others about it and saying so. Remember the psalmist wrote about it in Psalm 107. And not being ashamed of Jesus Christ or his gospel per Paul. Now, saying in just one little sentence what I said in all of last week's message and telling you probably and most definitely what you already probably knew for sure doesn't do one thing. It doesn't help you accomplish what God wants you to do. So uh, (laughs) in my overview this week, I believe that the Lord wants me to give you some pointers on how he's led me to be unashamed of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And my hope is that these pointers will help you be unashamed of Jesus Christ and his gospel because this is something that God wants all his kids to do. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So here are some pointers that God has given me through 15 or 16 years of being a Christian that's helped me 
And I really hope that they bless you too. Your first pointer on how to go about being a light for Christ, not being ashamed of Christ, is just a simple thing. It's actually something that you have to do inwardly, not something you do outwardly. But it's called setting your mind solid in unwavering, have an unwavering mindset to do it. So setting your mind, you know, having a predetermined mindset, I am going to go out today, wake it up in the morning, before you leave your door, whatever it may be, having your mindset to, you know what, I'm going to make a point to be a light for Jesus today. And then having that on your mind as you walk through the day, letting that be the, the, the driving mindset whenever you go out in public. I'm going to be a light for Jesus today. What, what does this look like? Well, wherever, whenever you go somewhere, wherever it is, instead of thinking about whatever garbage you may be thinking about, bills or you know what you could do later, or uh, I'm going to take my wife to the movies, or, or oh, i got to go to my kid's recital, or whatever it would be, Instead of thinking about all those things or about any problems you have, whenever you go out in public and you're going to be around people, which you're probably going to be around unbelievers, getting your mind set and prepared to think about, I'm going to shine like a light for Jesus. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say something that's going to let people know who I live for. I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, you know, Mention Jesus when I'm talking to others. After you get your mindset to be unashamed of Christ and his gospel with non-believers, next you be, must be ready to say some of the things I'm going to tell you now. So my second pointer, let's say you walk into a store and always at the grocery store, always at the gas station, what do you always hear? What is the most common thing that you hear the clerk ask you when you go up to the gas station? What is the most common thing you hear uh, the, the cashiers say at the grocery store, when you walk up to them, they, you walk up to them and they, what do they say almost immediately? You're probably playing the words out in your mind right now. Oh, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, how are you doing today, ma'am? I mean, I can't tell you, I can't go hardly anywhere without having somebody tell me that. Whether it's to the you know gas station or to the grocery store, to the comic book store, to the video game store, you walk in, oh, oh how are you today, sir? So what is that? That's, that's called an open door. God taught me years ago, all I have to do when somebody says that is say, I'm doing great, thanks to Jesus. That's it. The Lord gave me this one years ago as, as I would reply to people. People would ask me, hey, man, how's it going? How are you doing today? And I'd say, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Well, God touched my heart years ago and he said, hey, Ed, are you really just doing all right? Are you really just doing okay? Or he goes, aren't you doing great thanks to me? And I said, wow, you know, you're really right, Lord. I am, if I didn't have you, when I didn't have you, I didn't do great. So now I could really say, without a lie, because even when I'm having a bad day, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still better than when I didn't know Jesus. So now I can say with confidence that no matter what I've got going on in my life, I can say, hey, I'm doing great, thanks to Jesus. I admitted he was right, and I've been doing my best ever since to deny myself, set my mind to say this even though it's hard, and I know people don't want to hear it. You've got to listen, Christians. Our job for Christ is to satisfy him and make him happy. 
not make others happy. If he said we need to be unashamed of him and shine our lights for him, then that's what we need to be doing despite what others may think, say, or do. Saying the name of Jesus in our culture today, especially in America, and, and if you're coming on SoundCloud all over the world, you may be in a Muslim uh, country with Sharia law, and of course saying the name of Jesus could get you to be killed. But Jesus laid down his life for you, and he said it's going to happen. He just said, you have to shine like a light for me. This is what his requirement was for us. So once you get that saying down, because that's going to happen to you all the time, but once you get it down and you get used to it, then you walk in, maybe somebody doesn't say it to you. What do you do? They're like, well, I don't want, I don't, you know, what, what do I do now? Well, here's what you do. When you walk up to them and they're like, hey, some people don't want like their jobs and they just are there just kind of killing time and wasting space, you know. And uh, so you want to still reach them for Jesus. You want to still shine like a light for Jesus. And they don't ask you. You walk up to them and they, hey, you say, oh, hey, man, how's it going today? And what are they always going to say? Generally, oh, it's all right. Uh, how are you? Ah, once they say, how are you? After you initiate, you can say, Great, thanks to Jesus. (laughs) Awesome. So last point, a third pointer. uh, Past these last couple sayings, God should be doing amazing things in your life. He should be doing amazing things in your lives daily, weekly, monthly, and he should be doing them all the time because he he does in my life. So simply when you're in any kind of type of conversation with anyone, whatever it is, you need to make sure you're setting your mind to, to set to always bringing up those things with them that God is doing in your life that are amazing and giving Jesus Christ the credit and the glory. Uh, examples, uh, somebody you're around talking about all the weather, all the problems they have in their lives and all this and all, all that as well, all my marriage and all this and that. So you could say this, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But you know, the Lord Jesus always takes care of me. And no matter what problems I'm having, I just always put my trust in Him. And things always work out great for me. Because I can't tell you one Christian that that's not true for. I can't tell you one Christian that's not a follower of Christ that that, doesn't, that is not true for. We may still have problems just like everybody in the world. But if we put our trust in Him and we ask Him for help, He always works them out for us. He always works them out for me. I mean, they may not be the way we want to work them out, but they or the way we want it to work out. But it's always works out for the best. Okay. Um, Just a couple stories. You know, just a couple some uh, people were in conversation with me and what I said. Just uh, actually, just one story. So there was these couple guys, and I served them at my job all the time, and they're landscapers. And they came in and they're talking and they're waiting for their order to be pulled while I'm standing there waiting. And so as I'm standing there waiting, they're talking about their car alarm system. They have this special car alarm system. And they're like, oh, we bought this car alarm system. And oh, we bought it when we bought the car. And it was kind of expensive. And, you know, uh, you know, if, if anybody tries to take off of their car, it's remote. And, and as we drive away, then it, they just shut down the car if that's not us. If it was, you know, if it's not our key in the ignition or somehow, somewhere, this and the other. And they talk about how, how much it costs when they bought the car two or $3,000 extra, and they just had it financed into the car. So I, I was listening to all this, and they're talking. I'm like, oh, this. And, and, and they're like, oh, yeah. But then I say, I say this. Wanting to shine like a light for Jesus, I say this. I said, oh, that sounds pretty good. I said, but I got a car alarm system that's way better than that, and it's free. <laughs> so, so in amazement, they're wondering, they go, wow, what, what is it? 
I mean, they want to know what what car alarm could be better could be better than what they just you know had because it sounded like theirs was like pretty much better the best one in the world you know kind of thing because and I said well I got one but it's free oh in amazement what is it I you know what is it I pointed to and I grabbed my cross and I said this I said I trust in the Lord and I don't even really ever lock my doors and I don't have my problems and nothing hardly ever happens to my cars. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they didn't like that I said it, mind you. But nevertheless, I shine like a light for Jesus. And even upon that, there wasn't too long ago that I accidentally left my keys in my car because I was so busy. And I went to bed and went to sleep and they were in my car and it was unlocked overnight. And when I got up in the morning, I was, where's my keys? And the Lord said, oh, yeah, they're in your car, Ed. And I went out there and I live in a kind of next to a bigger city. And I didn't lock my car and my keys were in the ignition. Somebody could have just come up and taken my car and started up and drove off. But guess what? My car was still out there, keys still in the ignition. I got the best security system in the whole world because Jesus takes care of me and it's free. So anyway, I hope and pray that this helps you. And I hope that you will boldly set your mind to letting your light shine for Jesus so you can make him happy. These are just a few things. I mean, if you pray, God, would you please, you know, give me some ideas on how to shine like a light for Jesus, you know, then then he will because you know what? God wants you and and you and he's given you a responsibility to let your light shine for Christ. And no matter what people may think, and you already know you live in a wicked society because Jesus said it and we know that we're in a wicked society. Just look at the world today. Whether people like you to do it or not, because most people are not, whatever they say or they want you to say or they get angry or whatever, you have a responsibility as a Christian to shine like a light for Jesus Christ. God's given it to you and he expects you to do it. So anyway, on that note, um, let's switch gears and get on to our new sermon for today. Our new title for our new sermon, You Must Hold Fast. You Must Hold fast. So we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. We're going to finish out the chapter, and then I'll talk on it. Paul says to Timothy, verse 13, chapter 1, he says, Hold fast. Partly where the title of our message came from. Hold fast. The pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Pergolus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant mercy the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. Now, I've said it before, and I must say it again, especially after this section of Scripture that we just read. And here's my saying, and again, I've said it before, and it goes like this. You can't just start well with Christ to be saved and be on your way to heaven. You must start and end well with Christ in order to be in a right and saved relationship with God and go to heaven. So you can't just start off right. You you know, you get in there and start right 
and then end if you end poorly or you don't end at all, you can't still be okay with God or Christ. If you didn't hear the why and what we just read, I'll definitely show you as I teach you this section of Scripture. You see, I believe that Paul wrote this entire section of this letter to warn Timothy of the dangers of what happens when Christians don't hold fast. Okay? It's very important. So let me talk about it in depth. I'm going to read over 13 and 14 again just really quickly. And then I'm going to kind of do some talking about them. I'm going to translate them and all for you. And... uh, just just really quickly, bear with me. He says again, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, the good thing which is committed to you but keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Now there's so much to say, but the facet of this section of Scripture I'm going to be talking about today is holding fast. What does it mean to hold fast? Why is it important to hold fast? fast. So translation of what Paul just said, verse 13, he says to Timothy, hey, with the faith and love you have for and in Christ, so with your faith that you have in him, hold fast to Christ or stay firm practicing my teachings, Paul says. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. That's that's Paul's teachings. Those are the sound words that you heard from Paul. These would be his teachings, of course, about the Bible, about Christ, and about God, because that's what mainly Paul talked about. Paul's teachings mainly encompassed how to live a life to, and how to live out your faith, I should say, in Jesus Christ. How to live a life of love for God to fulfill the greatest commandment. Remember, Jesus said the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's Teachings encompass that. Uh, examples, Hebrew 6.1, he says, Repentance from dead works and, and a faith toward God. This was kind of a foundational principle that Paul taught on. Repentance toward dead works. Getting away from sin, Christian, because God hates sin, and so you should stay away from sins. Again, a way to live for God, a way to live for Christ, okay? And faith toward God, which is Christ Jesus. We know that we're supposed to have faith in God and faith in Christ Jesus. Trust Him totally with everything. That was just an example. But Paul's teachings encompassed loving God, living for God with all your heart, loving Him and serving God and living out faith towards God. Not being worried, but just totally having faith in God. And then Paul says in verse 14, he says, not only having faith in God, keeping my teachings, following my teachings, which were all these things, he says, but also, 14, also by God's Holy Spirit who lives in you, keep, that's a big word there, I'll bring that up back here in a second, keep practicing your spiritual gift of intercessory prayer. You can see 1 Timothy 1, 18, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 18, uh, verses or through chapter 2, verse 1, where God commissioned Timothy, remember, that his, his job was to fight for prayer for others, for the world, so on and so forth. So, words like hold fast and keep tells us that Paul didn't write these words to Timothy to exhort him. Hey, uh, sir, hold fast that line. Hold fast my spot here in line. Uh, ma'am, would you keep my, uh, you know, car keys here, please, for me, and don't lose them? When you hear these words, you know that they're not an exhortation. Exhortation is like, come on, guys, you know, you, you got to keep it up. 
you gotta, you gotta keep going. I, you know, I encourage you, I encourage you to keep praying. I, I encourage you to, to do this or I encourage you to do that. No, no, no. This is not, was not meant to exhort Timothy. Hold fast and keep were meant as commands to Timothy. Paul commands Timothy here. Hey, I command you, Timothy, keep what God's committed that you do. Keep serving God, praying for others, and hold fast all that you've heard me teach, which is faith in Christ, serving God, loving God, loving man. Keep and hold and hold fast these things. Now, why would Paul command Timothy to hold fast and keep to the practicing of teachings, which were faith in Christ and living a life of love towards God and man, and exercising his spiritual gifts God gave him by praying for the world? Well, it must be a pretty important reason, right? Because people don't just command another person to do something unless there's an important reason to do so, right? I mean, uh, I, I don't command somebody to uh, give me a donut, right? A donut's something good. Uh, oh, I like donuts. Hey, can I have a donut, please? But I sure command my son to do something I want him to do, especially if he's being a little bit rebellious and he's not wanting to, uh, you know, do what I say. Uh, I, I co- I'll command him something important. I'll command him to do something that's very important. So it must have been very important reason because Paul commands Timothy to do these things. So why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, I believe Paul tells us in the next couple verses, he says here, look at verse 15 with me. He says, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Pergolus and Hermogenes. Yes, if you heard me say that right, you did. Paul just said, all Christians in Asia had turned away from him. And he names off Pergolus and Hermogenes specifically. I think it's personally because Timothy kind of might have known those people. Uh, So now listen to this. If all Christians in Asia had turned away from Paul, what are the chances that they turned away from Christ also? Think about it. If they turned away from Paul... What's the chances that they turned away from Timothy as well too? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 10, 16. He who hears you, hears me. Now remember, they rejected Paul. They turned away from Paul. Paul was like God's one of God's main ministers in those days. God had sent out all the apostles, but of them all, Paul did more and was the greatest and did more for the gospel than all the other apostles combined, okay? And Jesus says to the disciples before Paul was part of them, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So I say it's probably a pretty good chance here that... Since they rejected Paul, they also rejected Christ Jesus. They were also in rejection towards God. So listen to this. I want you to think about this. Use your, you know, use your, put on your thinking cap here. Paul goes from commanding Timothy to hold fast to keeping the faith in Christ, loving God, loving man, and practicing his spiritual gift that God gave him, to telling Timothy about how all the Christians in Asia had turned away from him. Do you see any correlation in this? 
Because I do. Do you see any correlation? Paul is commanding Timothy to keep going in Christ and then talking about how all the people in Asia left him. What's the correlation? It seems to me that the reason Paul commanded Timothy to keep remaining faithful or holding fast to faith in Christ and keeping the great commandment and practicing his spiritual gift God gave him is because if he stopped, so if he stopped keeping faith in Christ, if he stopped serving God, if he stopped loving God with all his heart, if he stopped practicing his spiritual gift, then he would end up forsaking Christ and Paul like he saw all the Christians in Asia do thus far. Now, if you think I'm wrong or maybe think, oh, Pastor Ed, you're really exaggerating. I can't believe it. You know, I don't, I don't see that in this section of Scripture. Uh, I want you to look here next with me at the next few verses, our last few verses, where Paul goes on to talk about some more Christians that Timothy definitely knew. I'll show you that from, in a minute. From Ephesus that forsook him, and I believe forsook Christ too, and I'll show you why. But in this next example Paul gives us, you see, he gives us some special details about these Christians that forsake him. So let's look at verses 16 through 18 and look at what Paul mentions twice here. So I'm going to read these three verses and I'm going to kind of go back through them. I'm not going to comment much. I just want you to see if you can get it. What does Paul mention twice here in these three last three verses of this one guy in his household? So he goes on in verse 16 and he says this. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. You know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. Did you notice there what Paul mentions twice towards Onesiphorus in his household? He mentions twice mercy. That's certain, That's very important to keep that in your mind. He mentions mercy twice. Why? Because we see here with Onesiphorus and his family the reality of the statement that I made earlier. You can't just start well with Christ and be saved and be on your way to heaven. You must start and end well with Christ in order to be in a right and saved relationship with God and go to heaven. But before you shut me down, because this is not a popular belief in our Christian world that we live in, especially in America, let me explain why I believe this statement and why I believe Paul commanded Timothy to hold fast and keep faith in Christ, living a life of love in God, and serving God with a spiritual gift. So in verses 16 and 18, we read here that Anisiphorus in his household, number one, often refreshed Paul. Number two, they weren't ashamed of his change. That means they weren't ashamed of him in prison. Remember, this was even a, a commandment that Paul gave to Timothy back in earlier in chapter 1. He says, be not ashamed of Christ and his test or Christ and testimony, nor me, his prisoner, remember? So he's saying it again here, but he's saying that this Anisiphorus fella and his family, they weren't ashamed of him being in prison. And they also refreshed him. And also, listen here, they ministered to him well in Ephesus. Remember, Timothy was the pastor of the Ephesian church. So this family probably was a family that went to church there in Timothy's church or as he probably met Paul there when Paul was kind of the overseer of that church. So he often refreshed Paul. They, he and his family weren't ashamed of him being in prison, and they ministered well with him in Ephesus, right? 
Now, these good works tell me that Anisiphorus and his household had been saved Christians at a point because these are the kind of good fruits or good works that you'd hear Christians doing for other Christians. Paul was a Christian. Anisiphorus and his family, they were Christians. They were serving Paul, serving the body of Christ. Well, this is something that I would expect a Christian to do. Yet, I believe at some point here that Anisiphorus and his household forsook Paul. After all, he is in here, and that is the contextual section of the scripture where Paul's talking about how all in Asia left him. But I believe at a point that him and his household forsook Paul, and they started down the path to hell again, not finishing well, because Paul mentions mercy toward them twice in verses 16 and 18. Verse 16, Paul tells Timothy and us, the Lord grant the household of Anisiphorus mercy. And in verse 18, he says it even more, and this is extreme, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't just mercy. This is mercy to the extreme, okay? He says, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Now, if you don't know what that reference is referencing, in that day, if you're a Bible student, you will know, in that day, we're not talking about in any specific like day, like, oh, any normal day. The in that day reference is referencing Malachi 4.1, where God, actually the whole chapter, where God's referencing the great judgment day of the Lord. Malachi 4.1 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. That means they're going to be burned up, God's judgment. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. That day here, mercy toward Anisiphorus and his family, referring to that day, is talking about that day. The great day of judgment here that God's going to burn up the world and burn up all the wicked that didn't live for Christ. And Paul just says here in 18, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Now, how does this support my statement? You can't just start well with Christ and be okay. You have to start and end well, right, to be saved and to go to heaven. Let me show you. The definition of mercy is this compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender right somebody that's having an offense like uh, a cop that catches a speeder and the speeder's speeding and he goes up to him and he says you know what man i you know what i i see this that or whatever about you i'm going to give you mercy today and i'm not going to give you this ticket Mercy is something that an offender would get if they were, let's say, you know, the judge has mercy upon them. He's not going to give them judgment. But the definition, remember, compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender. Or in this case, Paul's asking here, hey, I hope, in a sense, that the Lord has mercy on Onesiphorus and his family. Okay? In this case... A person or persons would be, an offender would be here towards God, someone that's still in sin offending God. Because Bible says that if anyone's in Christ, God sees them as sinless. That means that God doesn't see you if you're saved and if you're walking with Jesus, God doesn't see you as an offender anymore. You see, Bible says that the redeemed of the Lord are those saved and walking with Christ have God's mercy at the point that they surrender. Right? The mercy comes when somebody that's unsaved, or, or we'll get to a Christian in a second, somebody unsaved says, oh, you know, I realize I'm wrong. 
God, please forgive me. I've sinned. I know that I'm against you. Please have mercy on me and save me. God says then, because he's a gracious and merciful God, he says, have mercy, my son, come to me. And he takes him in and he's clean and he doesn't need mercy anymore. Mercy is only for the point of the sin, where somebody's a practicing sinner. But there are a couple reasons that a saved or redeemed person would need God's mercy after they're saved. One, it would be if they fall into sin, or two, if they backslide away from Christ. For instance, myself, any of you, you know that within the last week we sinned. Not that I even tried to sin, but I sin because I'm just human and my life gets the better of me and I get caught up and I forget, you know, and I just, you know, and I just, I sin. So what do I do? I go to God and I say, oh God, please forgive me. I sinned. God, you know, please forgive me of my sin, you know, and, and make me right with you. Well, I asked God for his mercy again. And in that case, God would say, okay, my son, you're in Christ. You, I know you sin. Boom, you're clean. You ask for forgiveness because the Bible says that if we sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? He writes that through, through John, through the, uh, the Apostle John. Or we'd need mercy again if we were to become backslidden, if we were to become apart from Christ or estranged from Christ again. And in this case, since Paul's talking about, here he's talking about Anissa Firesen's family, that all those in Asia had forsook me. Now Paul's saying, I hope that God grants Anisiphorus and his family mercy on that day. He's talking about God having to give Anisiphorus and his family the mercy of not sending them to hell. So again, there's no need for God to give mercy to a person who's not practicing offenses toward him because they are in no need of it. The only reason a person needs God's mercy is if he or she is sinned in some way or another. Remember, uh, the parable Jesus gives to the two guys, the, 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 the Pharisee and the tax collector, go up to the temple, uh, Luke 18, 10-13, where Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, you know, to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all, my, all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A righteous man that's not practicing any offenses needs no mercy from God. He's already got it. He's already God, God's already given him his mercy. He's already clean. He's not in need of it unless something happens and he breaks a law or he does something wrong. Then he needs God's mercy. Now here we need we read of Onesiphorus and his household loving Paul, being great servants of the Lord towards Paul, unashamed of him in prison. And again, these are all good fruits of a Christian, but also. In the same breath, in these same verses, not only is he doing all these great things, but he also is in need of God's mercy. Those in right standing with God are in no need of God's mercy, as long as they're not in a sinful state. Now, if at the time when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Onesiphorus and his household were in a right standing before God in Christ, why would Paul have been hoping that God would grant them mercy, especially on the day of his wrath upon the world and the unsaved, verse 18. Remember, verse 18, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. This 
This statement by Paul implies that whatever sin Anisiphorus and his household were committing wasn't just temporary. It wasn't just one that was just kind of like, oh, a passing sin. Oh, I looked at a, a person with lust in my heart. Oh, God, forgive me for that sin. The, the have mercy on him in that day says that this is one that God was going to hold them accountable for in the day of judgment. One, two, that they may not recover from, that they may be standing before God and had committed a sin. And one sin that Paul was like, I hope God has mercy on them in that day. So I will say it again, Christians, because all Christians need to hear this. They need to hear, you can't just start, well, we need to hear, you can't just start well with Christ to be saved and go to heaven. You must start and end well with him in order to be in a right and saved relationship with God and go to heaven. And we need to hear this because there's this false doctrine that people teach in this world right now, and it's so wicked, and it's from the pits of hell. And it's called a one saved, always doctrine, no matter how you live. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter if you have faith, doesn't matter if you, know, if you do good works, it doesn't matter if you, know, you, keep, have, you, know, if you keep serving God, nothing. Hey, man, when you get saved, you're saved and you're good to go until you're done. Well, that's dangerous belief because it causes Christians to think that once they get saved, they can live in sin or any, any way they want and still be okay with Christ. But yet, here we read that Anisiphorus was right with God, yet still needing mercy on the day of judgment because it was in the context of all those in Asia had forsaken me. Now, Is this the only place Paul stresses this huge point of holding fast or staying faithful to Christ and loving and serving God until the end so that they don't fall away from God back into destruction in his letters? Absolutely not. Listen to all these. These are just a few now. There are so many. Galatians 6, 7-9, Paul writes this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh, listen to this, will of the flesh reap corruption. That's sin. But he who sows to the Spirit will will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So since we have everlasting life in the first, that makes the prior contextually everlasting death. Of the flesh will reap corruption, and then of everlasting life contextually means that Paul's talking about if you sow to your flesh... If you live to your flesh and you live in the lusts of your flesh, you're going to go to everlasting destruction. But yet if you sow to God's spirit and you live for God, you live for Christ, you're going to reap everlasting life. And he goes on to say, verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. Hey, doing good is serving God, loving God, loving Christ, serving God, trusting in Christ, right? Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. Subject now again, eternal life. If he says we do not lose heart, what will we reap if we make it to the end? The Bible says that those who endure to the end shall be saved, right? Jesus said it. We'll read it here in a second. Hebrews 6, 10 through 12, Paul says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice his context there is of they have served God and they're continuing to serve God by ministering to the saints. And we desire, listen, that each of you show the same diligence, so you keep going, and keep keep doing it. He says, to the full assurance of hope, listen, until the end. 
Hey, keep loving God, keep loving man, keep serving the saints until the end. That you do not become sluggish, he finishes, but imitate those, listen, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What are the promises? Well, the promise of God, inheriting the promises of God, that's eternal life. So enduring to the end, serving, loving God, enduring to the end, inheriting eternal life. Sowing to the flesh, not continuing the faith, eternal death. 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, Paul says. Not as one who beats the air, so I'm not fighting for nothing. I'm fighting strong for a reason, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Why would we need to do that? Oh, so I don't fall into sin. What happens if I fall into sin? He goes, least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Ooh, what does that mean? Becoming disqualified means that's it. You're done. You've walked away from God. And last one, Hebrews 4.11 from Paul, speaking of the day of rest, eternal life that is laid up for those that love God until the end. Let us therefore be diligent. Again, now, this is something we're working at doing. We're, 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 we're purposely doing something. Right? Let us be diligent. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest. The rest is eternal life. So there's no rest in this world. Tell you what, I, no rest in this world. Let us be diligent to enter the rest. Least anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Speaking of the Israelites back in the day where they didn't make it into the promised land. They didn't continue on with God but fell into disobedience. Speaking of those that weren't diligent to enter the rest of God, which would be, the, like I said, the ancient Hebrews. Okay, So over and over and over and over and over again, Paul says you got to keep going. You gotta keep having faith. You gotta keep loving God. You gotta keep trusting in Christ. You gotta keep serving God. Don't give up. Jesus in Matthew 24, our last one for this section, he says to his disciples of the coming tribulation or evil at the end times of the world and and for Christians here uh, until God raptures them, he says this. He says the end times are gonna be rough. People are gonna hate one another. Christians will be hated because they love Christ. Lawlessness or sinfulness will grow to immense proportions. We're seeing that right now. The love of many will grow cold. Look at the hatred in the world. We're right there in the end days today. Along with all kinds of terrible things he's going, he's going on to tell them. And then right there in the midst of all these evil things that are going to happen, Jesus Christ says this to those that are following them and those of us that are following him right now. He says, Matthew 24, 13, But he who endures to the end, shall be saved. So you're going to see and you're going to go through all these bad things, Christians. But he who endures to the end through them all and doesn't fall into them shall be saved. So you see, Onesiphorus and his family and his household once walked with God and Christ and loved God's kids. Evidence was showing Paul love, kindness, and servitude while at the church in Ephesus and while he was in prison in Rome. Yet they were in need of God's mercy, and there's only one reason, because at some point they fell into the practice of sin, or they became backslidden. So they forsook Paul, and they became estranged from Christ, and they became disqualified. And what happens when you become disqualified, using Paul's words, you start heading for that great and terrible fiery day of the Lord, where since you're disqualified, you're not in repentance, you're not loving God anymore, you're forsaking His ministers, you're estranged from Christ, 
God's going to judge you with the world. So do you see now why I said all throughout the sermon, you can't just start well with Christ to be saved and to be on your way to heaven. You must start and end well with him in order to be in a right and saved relationship with God and go to heaven. Christians, you must hold fast to Jesus Christ in faith. You must live a life of love towards God and towards man and serve him until you die in whatever capacity that God's given you to do that in. And then you'll inherit eternal life. If you hold fast, if you continue, you shall be saved from the eternal fire that waits. If you don't, Christians, if you don't hold fast, if you don't keep going, you will become like Anisaphirus in his household, who even after they had been saved and started bearing good fruit for Jesus Christ and God, were again in need of God's mercy, even in the great and terrible day of the Lord, because they forsook Paul, were estranged from Christ, and started heading down the road that led to destruction again. As we read from Paul in all the other scriptures, in Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, the promise of eternal life is only given to those who hold fast to Christ. Hold fast their confession of faith in Christ and live a life of love towards God and endure to the end with Him. So now, what do we do, all the Christians that are listening to this message, what do we do with all the info that we learn today? Paul writes about it, Romans 15, 4. He says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we may learn through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So what do you do with all the information that we just learned? We use it. We use it and we be careful. We watch out for ourselves. We help each other out. We watch how we're feeling and how we're looking and we watch our faith and we watch our endurance and we make sure, hey, I'm still standing strong in Christ. Hey, where am I at? We're we're giving ourselves self-examinations. Where am I at in the Lord? Hey, am I still as hot as I was 10 years ago, five years ago, two years in the Lord? If I'm not, why, Lord, renew my fire again. Lord, I want to love you more, 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 more as each day comes along, not less and less and less and less and less. If your relationship in your household with your wife or your spouse, whatever, man or woman, you know, if you're a man or woman, you have a husband or wife, and your relationship is dwindling and your fire is going out, and that relationship is not a good one. We know here that something happened to Anisophirus and his family that caused them to forsake Paul, since that is the context of our scripture. And that they forsook Paul, and Paul's hoping that God has mercy on them in that day, that this is something that they not only forsook Paul, they forsook Christ too. Okay? So we have to be careful and look at Anisophirus and his family and see them as an example, and we got to watch ourselves, Christians, followers of Christ, we got to watch ourselves that we don't end up like in this virus and his family. God hopes that we learn from the bad choices, whatever those were, that in this virus and his household made, and not fall away from Christ and turn back to the path of eternal destruction, but live a life of love toward him 
and serve Christ and serve them daily and not ourselves. So how do we do that? How do we stay right with Christ? Maybe you're listening to this message and you're like, I don't even know how to be right with Christ. I don't, but I don't want to face that day of destruction, that great and fiery day. How do I know? Well, wow, what do I do? Well, Christ told us, Matthew 10, 37 through 39. And, and what he says here in Matthew 10, 37 39 works for if you don't know him or if you're his and, and you should be staying here as well too because it's an ongoing thing. Being saved is not something we magically do just one time. And then I'm good to go for good. That's it. I don't need nothing else. No, 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 absolutely not. She said it's those that endure to the end that are saved, right? That means that whatever we started, we got to keep doing when, as we go on. And he tells us, Matthew 10, 37, 39, he says this. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So we need to make sure that we're loving him more than everybody else in our lives. And if you're unsaved and listen to this message, you need to make sure that you start loving Jesus Christ more than you love everybody else. He goes on, he says, He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Same thing. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Taking up his cross, he, he, uh, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What do you do when you take up your cross? You crucify this flesh. You decide that I'm not going to live for the sinfulness of this world anymore. Hey, you know what? I've lived that way. It's destruction. I want to live for Christ now. He who decides to take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You must deny self. Pick up your cross and follow him. And he goes on to say the last two. He goes, he who finds life will lose it. If you live for yourself in this life, You'll lose your eternal life because you found yourself, hey, I'm living my life. It's my life. It's for me. But he goes on to say, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You surrender your life to his lordship. You decide to put your, the control of your life into his hands. And this is something, by the way, that even if you're a Christian, you must still continue to do every day. God, I'm yours. Because you can at any point, like you can in a marriage, hey, you know what, I don't want to be married no more. Get out of here, my wife, or get out of here, my husband, and you can decide to be divorced right now. Well, in God's kingdom, if you just decide, you know what, I don't want to walk with God anymore. God's not going to stranglehold you. No, you have to stay here because you prayed a prayer. No, sir. No, you have to continue to put your life in his hands every day. You have to continue to surrender your life to him every day. Now, please understand this, Christians, or those that profess to be Christians. God will not be mocked. I'm speaking to those that profess to be Christians now. He knows if you've turned to Christ and fallen on your knees and your hearts and surrendered to Him, given Him all of yourself, or if you've done that and, then, and if you've really lost your life in Him for His sake and you've been saved. He knows. He knows whether you've turned to him, surrendered, been born again, or he knows if you haven't. Or he knows if you have, he knows if you're still there, and he also knows if you've fallen away from him. He knows whether you're living a life for yourself again, or whether you're still living a life for him. And I want to close with these words of warning, these last two scriptures of words of warning from Ezekiel and from Jesus. Ezekiel says this, God says this in Ezekiel 33, 13 through 16, not my words. 
his words. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity. So, so he's righteous. He's done what it takes in those days to become righteous for God. He put his faith in God. He's a righteous man. But God says here, when I say to the righteous, so he's saved, that he shall surely live, but, notice the but there, he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity. That's, he starts sinning again. He starts falling back into sin. He starts living in his old ways. Starts offending God again in a practice. He says here, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, and you could say this is an ongoing thing, this is a practice, the Bible says, he shall surely die. And we know here in context, God's certainly not talking about death in the flesh. We all die in the flesh, right? We all die in the flesh. He's talking about eternal death. If the righteous turns away from me and starts living in wickedness again, then I'll cut him off. He cuts himself off from me, and I'll punish him with the same punishment that the wicked person gets that's never turned to me. But, listen to the good news, again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, again, eternal death now, so he's pronouncing judgment on the wicked. If he turns from his sinful ways, or if he turns from his sin or sinful ways, and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, so without living a lifestyle of sin, he shall surely live and not die. He'll surely inherit eternal life and not go to hell. None of his sins, God says here, which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. He shall surely live on forever. So in there, God says, if you're righteous now, you better stay righteous in him. You better stay in him. Because if you fall away and you fall back, God says, I'm not going to remember the time when you were righteous and I'll cast you away. But if you're unrighteous, and I warn you, and you turn, then you'll live. And I won't remember your wickedness anymore. That means that even if you become a Christian, what, what God just said in there in Ezekiel, even if you become Christian, yet fallen away into a life practicing sinfulness, God will reject you and turn you away from eternal life when you face Him after death. Jesus says this last thing here, Matthew 7, 21-23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So this is somebody that's practicing doing God's will. Many will say to me in that day, again, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Listen to why. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You were saved. Yet you fell into sin and you started practicing sin and lawlessness again. I never knew you. If you are living a life of love towards Christ and God today and repentance toward dead works, sinfulness of the flesh, and serving God with all your hearts today, then please keep going and don't stop until you see God's face and you hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But if you have been saved and you're not living a life of love towards God and Christ today, you're not living in repentance toward dead works, means you're living in the sins of the flesh, you're practicing them, and you're not serving God anymore like you used to. Yeah, you're just kind of serving yourself. I do some things here and there, but I mainly, you know, live for me. Then you need to repent and turn back to Christ today. 
and get right with God before you get left. God loves you so, so very, very much. But you must love Him back, not only with your lips, but also with your lives. For you see, you can't just start well with Christ to be saved and go to heaven. You must start and end well with Him in order to be right in the same relationship with God and go to heaven. Which path are you on? Were you on the path but you fell off? Or have you never even been on the path? God knows. But I pray and I hope that God will get a hold of you today and that you would turn back to Him no matter where you think you are or you thought you were before the sermon. And I pray you turn back to Him if you've wandered off the path like in the Sapphires and his family. And I pray that you come back and you surrender again and truly get right before you get left. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for, you know what, Lord, I, I'm not, I don't thank you for Anissa Iverson's family or, or these other two fellows that we talked about today. I, Lord, I, I really hope that they got saved. But what I, what I hope and pray is that, Lord, that their example of what they did, which was wrong in Scripture, would lead us today to the truth so that we wouldn't be and we wouldn't do what they did. Lord, I pray that no Christian in here would need mercy on the day of judgment, Lord, because then it's too late. If we're in need of mercy on the day of judgment, whatever we did in our flesh, it's too late after that point. Once we die and we're at the the judgment seat of Christ, Lord, your judgment seat, it's too late. We're judged, Lord, and whatever we did, it's too late. So I pray, dear God, that they would seek your mercy now. And repent now, Lord. If somebody's out there listening to me and they know that they used to be saved, they know they were walking with you, they know they've been born again, they know they got saved, but yet they've walked away. They stopped going to church or, or, or they've forsaken you, Lord. They live for themselves again. They stopped living for you. They stopped living a life of love for you. I pray that you bring them to repentance and bring them back to you, Lord God that they would be in no need of mercy on the day of judgment. (laughs) For Lord, again, it's too late at that point. So I pray that you bring them back into a right relationship with you right now, that they would fall on their knees, turn to you, and be saved once again. Thank you so much, Lord, for this word. I pray for all the Christians out there that are listening that are in a right relationship with you, Lord. I pray that they will continue until they see your face and hear you say, well done good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Thank you, Lord God. And we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.